morning. Let's pray. Father, we recognize this morning that you, you are a God who has a long history of leading his people. You led your people out of, out of Egypt and into the promised land. You've seen your people through difficult times and you have brought them into good times. And every one of us, Lord, who have followed the Lord Jesus in faith, we likely each can go through a, a, a catalog in our mind of seasons when we were acutely aware of your leading us, acutely aware of your hand on us, guiding us where we should go, comforting us in difficulty, encouraging us when we're discouraged. And Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you that you have led us to this book of Hebrews, which for every one of us in various ways has been timely and helpful. And we pray that as we continue, particularly here in chapter 11, that you would lead us, lead us to continued faithfulness, lead us to persevere in the faith. Please use your word to lead us on toward glory. pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Our text this morning is going to be verses 1 through 7. I'd like to read as we begin this morning, the last verse of chapter 10, just so that we see how this is, this is transitioning from chapter 10 into chapter 11. So if you'd stand with me, we'll, we'll begin in 1039 and we'll read through 117. Hebrews 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith... Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. By faith, Noah, 
being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You may be seated. I have a few friends, I won't name their names, a couple of them are in the room here. They flat won't read a book unless it's got pictures in it. I suspect that most of us can identify with that because, you know, back in the day when we're in school and and we've got a reading assignment, what what did we do? We we, want to know how many pages and we want to flip through to see how many pictures are there. Now, is it because we loved pictures? It wasn't that way for me. It was because the more pictures, the fewer words to read. And some of us never outgrow that, such that we don't read a whole lot these days. Now, pictures become important for another reason as we progress in our education. We, we begin to study things that are abstract enough and complex enough that some kind of picture or diagram actually becomes helpful in order to understand what we're reading. You can find this in, in, in all kinds of books, and actually there, there are professions that are, that are based on this idea that, that seeing is more helpful sometimes than, than hearing or, or reading. We're in the process of, of thinking through modifying this building to accommodate the needs of, of a congregation here that's growing, and so we, we'll be talking to architects. Now, those architects, they could give us plans in the form of prose, but imagine how tedious that would be. You just read pages and pages of, of, of just sentences telling us what to do. The, the, the sanctuary will be this many feet, by this many feet, by this many feet. And on the outside of the eastern wall, which is going to be 12 inches thick, there's going to be a walkway that's this many feet, by this many feet. It, it, it cries out for some pictures, right? And it, it, it just makes it far more easy. And there will be far fewer mistakes when you build buildings that way. So the architects, they, they make sketches. They draw pictures so that you know what it's supposed to look like. Pictures can be very helpful to our understanding. The author of Hebrews has been teaching some things that may seem somewhat abstract to us. Some things difficult to, to put in the context of everyday life. He wants us to persevere in faith in Christ. And it seems that perhaps the author of Hebrews has in, anticipated a question like, would you please give us some pictures? Would, would you put some flesh on these bones? And so, here in Hebrews 11, he spends a, a chapter actually on into chapter 12, doing exactly that. He describes faith and then he illustrates it through the lives of many Old Testament saints and then he illustrates it in chapter 12 through the life of the Lord Jesus Himself. He is essentially saying to us in chapter 11 and into chapter 12, let me show you what faith does and what it receives from God. And that's great news, right? 
Because I, I suspect that if, that if you're like me, you have at least one issue going on in your life right this second that is requiring you to believe God. And so how helpful is it then for the Scriptures to give us pictures of what it looks like to trust God with difficult things? The author is going to tell us a number of things about faith and illustrate those things for us. And the first is that faith trusts God with what can't be seen. Trusts God with what can't be seen. The irony is that he's going to tell us that. He's going to teach us that. And then he's going to show us pictures of people trusting things, trusting God with things that can't be seen. Look again at verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Some might characterize verse 1 as a definition of faith. But I would say that it's, it's less of a definition and more of a description of what faith does how it works, and he gives a couple of descriptors in verse 1 that are essentially saying the same thing. First of all, he tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Another way to render that would be that faith is the reality of things hoped for. And the idea is that the person of faith lives like what has been promised, what is the object of our hope, Faith lives like that is real. The faithful live in accordance with the reality of things hoped for, things promised by God. That means that they trust what God has said to the extent that their lives rest on the fulfillment of that promise. What God God has said is something like the foundation on which they build their lives. I'm not going to give a ton of illustrations because he's going to give us some in the rest of the chapter. But he further describes faith with a second descriptor. It is the conviction of things not seen. Now, this this phrase may be a bit broader than the first, which is faith's the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for seems to be more oriented toward the fulfillment of promises in the future The conviction of things not seen is is broader. Things not seen can pertain to events in the distant past, we're going to see. Like like creation, which he'll he'll address in verse 3. Things that are unseen can, can be represented in the present. There are things in the present of which faith is sure, even though it can't see it. Like the existence and character of God, which he's going to point out to us in verse 6 and verse 27. And then certainly there are unseen things in the future. By, by, by definition, things in the future are things that we, we cannot see. The person of faith is unhindered by the invisibility of these things. Past, present, future. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5-7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith, faith is not... It is not just an abstract affirmation of truth claims, but it is a way of living. Those who are assured of the certainty of things hoped for, they demonstrate that assurance by how they live. Those, Those convinced of the reality of what they cannot see, they demonstrate it by their choices and their actions. If we were to take the time to look through this whole chapter, 
you could scan through there now if you like, we, we find something that is helpful. And, and that is that many of the examples of faith given in Hebrews chapter 11 have no obvious reference to trusting God specifically for salvation from sin. Let me say that again. Many of the examples of faith in chapter 11 have no obvious reference to trusting God specifically for salvation from sin. The reason I think that's helpful is that it puts in front of us a picture of faith that is broader than trusting God for salvation. It is a holistic faith that trusts God with with everything. And I would say that, that, that we should then be careful about how we, how we conceive of what the Bible calls saving faith. It, it seems that the faith that is commended by the author of this book is a faith that certainly perseveres in trusting Christ unto eternal rest, but we ought not think that that is a different kind of faith than the faith that carries us through everyday things. Faith is faith. It trusts Christ with everything. It trusts Him with salvation from our sins and everything from there to the return of Christ and beyond. Faith trusts God with all things that cannot be seen. It trusts God with our material needs because God has put Himself forward as our provider. So maybe you can't see how you're going to make ends meet this month, but you trust God. Faith trusts God with our loved ones. We, we, we can't see, perhaps, how things are going to turn out with our, our children. Those of us with adult children, we feel this even more acutely than we did when they were, when they were younger. I just don't know how this is going to work out. I don't, I don't know if they're going to follow the Lord, if they're going to make the right decisions. I don't know. But we trust God because He has said that He's a God who does what is right and good. Faith trusts God with our health. Can't, we can't see what's going to happen at the end of that, that cancer diagnosis. We, we can't see if we'll recover from this surgery or, or that infection. But God has promised. He's promised. And you could write this down. This is, this is Psalm 103. He has promised to heal all of His people ultimately on the last day. So we trust God even as we suffer now. Faith trusts God for the strength to endure mistreatment for being a Christian. We, we, we can't see how, how severe things are going to get in persecution in this, this country. We can't see if, if, if we're going to lose our job for claiming the name of Jesus. We don't know if our loved ones are going to be ostracized or imprisoned or if we will lose all of our earthly possessions. But we trust God because He has said that He is our strength. And course, faith trusts God to apply the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to our lives such that on the day of, ju- of judgment, we will hear, come, inherit the kingdom for which I've prepared for you, rather than hearing, depart from me, you cursed. We, we can't see that day. We cannot see judgment day, but we know what God has said about it. That Christ is the only hope for acquittal, and so we trust God for salvation. All of those examples, all of that, all of that is faith. There, there is not saving faith and then everyday faith. There is just faith, 
I can't see what's going to happen, but I know what God has said about Himself, and so I will trust Him with, with all of it. Faith trusts God with things that cannot be seen. Second, faith is commended by God. It's commended by God. Verse 2 reads, For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. The people of old, of course, they are those of faith in the Old Testament days. Through their faith, they were commended by God. Now, what exactly does that mean? Super literally, commended here means testified to. They were testified to or testified of. For by faith, they, they were testified to. This is, this is what we call... You grammar nerds, get out your pencils and write this down. You'll enjoy this. This is what's called a divine passive. All right? This is a passive verb. And a divine passive is, is, a, is a verb that is happening to the subject. But what's implied is that God is the one doing it. All right? So when the saints of old were commended or testified to by faith, God was testifying about them. All right? And so, so here's the idea. Because of their faith, God testified, that one is mine. That one is mine. That one is mine. Now, I'll say this just, just in passing. Let's not get twisted up regarding the doc- doctrine of election here. Of course, God knew who was His prior to, to all creation. And even if you don't believe in the doctrine of election, even if you, you just believe that God knows the future perfectly, then you have to say that God knew from eternity past all those who were His. But this verse isn't saying anything about when or how God knew something, but it is is talking about when He testified to it. He testifies on the basis of evidence, and that evidence is faith lived. I would suggest based upon the different ways that the rest of the chapter talks about this commendation, that the author has in mind justification by faith. In the example of Noah that we'll see in a moment, he's going to note that Noah became an heir of righteousness by faith. And that commendation, that, that, that becoming an heir of righteousness by faith, we could think of that also as tantamount to a welcome into the eternal kingdom. Those who are commended by God are those who are justified by faith are those who enter the eternal kingdom, which is, is what this book is spurring us toward. Keep trusting in Christ so that you enter glory. That should be clear as we proceed. So, verse 2 serves a couple of purposes here. First of all, it teaches that, that the result of faith in the lives of Old Testament saints, it, it led to their com- commendation by God. They're being declared righteous. God's saying of them, that one is mine. Second, verse 2 serves as a transition from the description of faith in verse 1 to examples of faith in verses 3 and following. And he, be, he begins with a somewhat rudimentary example in verse 3. Verse 3 he writes, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Of course, he's referring to the creation account in, in Genesis 1 where God repeatedly said words and things that did not exist formerly then existed. He created by words. The Word of God created all things. Now, because the Bible says that, we believe it. And we understand 
what happened at creation, even though we weren't there, even though we can't test it, even though there are no pictures, by faith we understand that's what happened. Remember that description of faith in verse 1. Faith is the conviction of the things not seen. This creation, this is an example of, of something that was not seen in the distant past. We can't see it, and yet, yet we believe it. What is seen, all creation, including ourselves, it was not made out of pre-existing matter. How can we know that? Because we believe the Bible. We believe the Bible that God spoke all things into existence. What can be seen was not made by other things that can be seen. Next, we have the example of Abel in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You can read about the story of of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. That chapter records the the births of the first two sons of, of Adam, their respective responses to God, and the account of history's first murder and its aftermath. Now, listen to this. This is Genesis 4.3. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, we, we tend to want to speculate about why the Lord preferred Abel's offering over Cain's. And it could be that Abel specifically brought the first fruits of of his flock to the Lord as an offering, whereas that that word is not used of of Cain's offering. Perhaps he did not bring the first fruits of his produce of the ground. It could also be that an animal offering, which is what Abel brought, that that's just inherently preferable to God to a fruit offering, which is what Cain brought. The text isn't clear about about which one it was, why it was that that God found Abel's offering acceptable and not Cain's. But here is the key. Whatever it was, Cain knew. He knew what it was. How do we know that? Because later in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, the text indicates that, that Cain knew what to do, and if he just did that, everything would be fine. God God did not leave Cain in the dark about what he expected. Hebrews wants us to see that the significant distinction between these two brothers is not something in the offering themselves, but that one was an offering of faith and the other was not. Now, Genesis chapter 4 says nothing about faith, not not explicitly. The word faith is, is nowhere in Genesis 4. So we might ask, how can the author of Hebrews... Interpret it that way. The the word faith isn't there. What is in Genesis chapter 4 is a depiction of obedience. God's conversation with Cain in Genesis 4 indicates that what Abel did represented obedience. Literally, doing good. While Cain's offering was something less than obedience. Literally, not doing good. Obedience that pleases God flows from faith. We'll consider that concept a bit more here, here in a bit. But, but, but Abel obeyed, giving what God deserved. And, and we might say 
trusting God to provide for him as he gave away this very valuable possession. He's offering to God the first fruits of his flock. That's an act of faith, according to the author of Hebrews. I'm giving you this because you deserve it, and I trust you, God, to provide for me. Tom Schreiner says regarding this passage, quote, The wellspring of obedience is always an attitude of trust. It follows then that the fundamental sin of Cain was unbelief. His offering was not accepted because he did not trust God. Unquote. Note that the Lord commended Abel by accepting his gifts. God's, God's pleasure in Abel's gifts affirmed his faith. And essentially, as God is, is, is accepting that gift, he is saying, Abel is mine. Now, the author of Hebrews, he notes that, that, that Abel no longer lives. He, he succumbed to death. But his faith still commends him even this day. By his faith, even though he's dead, he still speaks. Now, what, what, what does that mean? It, it, it means to, to the reader, even though Abel has died, he is still alive. He still speaks. And it's because of his faith in the Lord. Faith is commended by God. We're, we're going to see that over and over in chapter 11. That word commend or commendation. It, it, it goes throughout the chapter and it concludes with it. Faith also pleases God. Faith pleases God. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This comes from Genesis 5, verse 24. And, and the author of Hebrews is, is interpreting Genesis 5 for us. Now, he mentions five different ways, five ways that Enoch didn't die. Just look back through, through verse 5 and into 6 again. He was, number one, taken up so that he, number two, should not see death. And three, he was not found because four, God had taken him. Now, five, before he was taken, five times he indicates to us, this bloke didn't die. It seems like he wants us to notice that contrary to, Cain, to, to Abel, Enoch didn't die. It seems to be just right on the surface there. Enoch didn't die. Why didn't he die? Genesis 5.24 in the ESV reads, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Enoch walked with God and that's why he didn't die. Walking in the, in, in the Bible... Is, is a metaphor for living life, living life in the Bible. We, we saw Paul, or I mentioned Paul using that word walk back in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, just a few minutes ago. We walk by faith, not by sight. Paul means we live, we, we live our lives. We go about every day by faith and not by sight. Ephesians 4 calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What Paul means there is we, we live a life that reflects our belief in the gospel. For Enoch to walk with God indicates that, that Enoch lived a lifestyle of worship with 
God. He walked with God. He lived with God. He lived as unto God. Strikingly, the author of Hebrews characterizes that as Enoch pleasing God. And and he did this by faith. So, So what we're seeing here is that faith pleases God. What might be pertinent to to the context of Hebrews about this this life of Enoch, that that, that by faith Enoch didn't die. Well, the author of Hebrews has has previously told us everybody dies. Hebrews 9.27, first comes death and then comes the judgment. So everybody's going to die. He's made that clear. What awaits those who die in faith is an ending or a reward very similar to the one received by Enoch, which is not ultimately death, but eternal life. Just as Enoch walked with God by faith, so also the reader who walks with God by faith, though he's going to die physically, he is not going to die eternally and spiritually. Walk with God by faith. This is what pleases the Lord. Now look at verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Okay, so verse 5 told us that Enoch was commended as having pleased God. The author is now explaining what pleasing God has to do with faith. And the short answer is that pleasing God gives evidence of faith. All right? It seems that he tells us here what pleases the Lord. Again, if we, if we compare Genesis 5, 24, all the way at the beginning of the Bible, if we compare that to these verses, we could say that walking with God, which is how Genesis 5, 24 reads, walking with God is the same thing as living in fellowship with God, and that is what pleases God. The author gives even more in verse 6. To please God is to draw near to Him. He writes, without faith, it's impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near must believe God. Pleasing the Lord is parallel here in verse 6 to drawing near to God. And remember that drawing near to God, that's one of our practices of perseverance from back in chapter 10. Do you remember those? You should be able to recite these in your sleep. I said it a hundred times back in these previous three messages. What is it? Is it draw near, hold fast, encourage others? These are the three the three acts of perseverance, the practices of perseverance. And drawing near, again, is one of those. He's bringing it up, up here again. Draw near to God. R- drawing near pleases God. And it is, it is simply living life with God. Taking advantage of that fellowship with God that has been bought for us by the shed blood of Jesus. Now, let, let's consider for just a second. We'll take a, take a little bit of a step back from, from the text for a moment and think about what this whole thing means about God. That, that what pleases our God is that we would draw near to Him. That we would live in fellowship with Him. That is not the same thing as saying that God needs us. He's, the Lord is quite clear that He doesn't need us. Psalm 50, Acts 17. God doesn't need anything. But what pleases Him is that we not only would want to be with Him, but that we would live in fellowship with Him. The God of the Bible, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He is glad to be with His people. 
and, and we should reject any notion, any picture of God in our minds as holding His nose as He enters our presence or as we enter His. And that's because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to us such that God delights for us to live with Him. And I would ask you, what else can even explain the gospel but that God desires to be with His people? That that God would give His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should have eternal life, which is knowing and living with God. Some might, might say, well, Pastor Greg, God's own glory explains the gospel. God has done all of these things throughout salvation history. He's done all these things so as to display His grace and His wisdom and His power. And to that I would say, Amen. Amen. But God is not self-loathing such that He would devise a gospel that makes Him miserable for eternity by being in the presence of people that He can't stand. God glorifies Himself in the gospel and He brings Himself pleasure by spending eternity with those that He loves and who love Him. That's the kind of God that we trust. Conform your view of God to to this view of God. He is pleased for us to be with Him. Now, how does walking in fellowship with God or, or drawing near to God, how does that evidence faith? Faith is, is what moves someone to draw near to God. It's what moves someone to walk in fellowship with Him. R- remember that the natural state of, of the fallen human heart is hatred for and distrust of God. The only person who would ever draw near to God is, is someone who believes Him, who trusts Him. And the author breaks this down into a couple of building blocks for us. He says, whoever would draw near to Him, get close to Him, do life with Him is what he means by that. Whoever would draw near to Him must has to believe two things. First of those is that God exists. Now, James 2 tells us that the, the, the demons believe that. And they certainly don't draw near to God. So there must be something additional that's necessary. And there is. And He gives it to us. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. That is, good things, good things come from God to those who seek Him. No one is going to live life with God. No one is going to try to get close to God if they don't believe those two things. They don't believe He exists. They're not going to try to get to somebody they don't believe exists. And they're not going to try to get close to somebody if they don't believe that that somebody is someone who rewards that pursuit. Now we might wonder, what is the reward? With what does God reward those who seek Him? He rewards them with Him. Read the last couple of chapters of the Bible. It's just, it is crystal clear. God, the Godhead, the the Trinity presence with them for eternity, that is the great prize of the gospel. Therefore, drawing near to God, walking with God as Enoch did, this is evidence of faith. I walk with God because I believe that He is and because... I believe that He rewards those who draw near to Him. 
Faith draws near to God, walks with God. That pleases God. Next, faith obeys God. Faith obeys God. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, here, here's the first example in Hebrews 11 of, of someone trusting or, or believing God with an unseen thing in the future. Everything that we've seen up to this point, the, the creation and then Enoch, those were all things of, of either trusting God with something unseen in the past or the presence. Now we get to Noah, and this is something unseen in the future. And, and you can read about Noah's story in Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9. God warned Noah that a flood was coming. And the Scriptures don't record this, but, but I suspect that Noah wondered, what's a flood? What is that? And the word flood that's used in that, in that narrative, that, that Hebrew word is only used in that narrative and one other place in the entire Hebrew Bible. And that other place is, is Psalm 29.10. That unique thing that, that was the flood, this was a singular event. And it seems from Genesis chapter 2 that not only was a, a flood not a thing, but rain wasn't a thing prior to Genesis 7. So what God warned Noah about wasn't just an unseen thing in the future. It also was an unseen thing in the past. No, nobody's seen a future. Nobody's seen rain. But God, Noah believed God that something for which no one had a category because it had never happened It was going to come and it was going to deliver judgment on all life on the face of the land. Noah believed that. It's something that's just so... For those of us who've who've been in the church all of our lives, the flood of Noah, this is just something that's... You know, we make wallpaper out of it. It's in every children's book. It's an important story. But we just don't think a whole lot about, about what an act of faith this was. No one knows what rain is. No one knows what a flood is. Noah knew it was going to happen. He was assured. He was convinced of things unseen. So he did what God commanded. He spent a hundred years building an ark to save his family from judgment in the form of a flood, whatever that is. Faith obeys Noah believed, and so he did what God said. I, like, like many of you, I, I have an investment service that tells me what to do with my retirement accounts. And when they send me an email or a text message saying, hey, the economy is about to do this, or now would be a good time to move your money over here. Because I trust them, I act. I do what they say to do. If I don't move my money, then that means... By definition, I don't believe them. Faith compels action. Faith obeys. And and this is the constant testimony of the Bible. Saving faith, justifying faith, it obeys God. It's like water flowing downhill. This is just what faith does. Because it holds as reality the things promised, faith acts on the basis of, of what is promised. It holds as concrete what cannot be seen, 
We've noted this in the past messages in this series, that faith and obedience, they're so intimately connected that the author doesn't really even bother teasing them out for us. He doesn't bother giving us distinctions between faith and obedience because they go together. I noted some examples of trusting God earlier in our time together this morning. Trusting God with things unseen. In each of those cases, in each of those cases, trusting God with unseen things is going to have attached to it some kind of obedience, some kind of living in light of what is believed. And whatever your issue is this morning, whatever that thing is, you're really struggling to trust God, I would encourage you right now as I continue to talk, begin to probe into that situation and ask yourself, okay, I know what it is that I'm having a hard time trusting God with. What act of obedience is connected to that? What will I do with my life? Where will my feet go? What will my mouth say? What will my hands do? If I believe what God has said in this issue or that, if we trust God with our material needs, even when money is tight, what will we do? We will obey God by regularly giving to the church, by paying our taxes without cheating, by generously giving to those in need. We will give what we have because we believe what God has said about Himself, which is that I will supply all your needs. If we we trust God with our relationships and with our loved ones, we will do what God says, even when what doing God says is found by those around us to be objectionable, distasteful, intolerable. For example, with those people, we will will lovingly confront habitual sin because because we trust God when He says it's for their good. For those people around us that they don't even believe that God exists, When we sin against them, we will express repentance to them. And we will ask them for their forgiveness. Even though they're like, what are you doing this for? Well, I'm doing this because this is what my God tells me to do when I sin against people. Around people who who don't believe in God or, or don't believe in the goodness of God, we will continue to talk about the goodness of God, the God that they claim not to will pray diligently for their souls, obeying Jesus' call to, to always pray and never give up. And we'll do that because we believe what God has told us about Himself, that is that He is a God who delights in prayer. If we trust God with our health, we will not despair when the doctor gives us bad news or gives a loved one bad news. We'll, we'll not waste our days checking off bucket list items, but rather we'll pour our, ourselves out for as long as we have doing whatever we can to serve our Lord and His people. If we trust God in the midst of persecution for our faith, we will obey Him by continuing to to not only openly identify ourselves with Christ, but we will winsomely talk about Jesus, saying the things that the Bible says about Him, which is that there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, all men, must be saved. We'll continue saying those things because we believe what God has said about Himself and will not shrink back. Faith obeys. And the text tells us here about Noah, by this, he condemned the world. By by what? By this always means by faith in Hebrews chapter 11. By trusting in God, To the extent that he built this enormous boat, Noah 
condemned the world. Now, in what sense did he condemn the world? You could write down 2 Peter 2, and you'll find there some, a, a very short passage about Noah where Peter characterizes Noah as a herald of righteousness. It's a herald of righteousness. And I would say that Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, in a sense is characterizing Noah as a herald of doom as well. By, by Noah's making this ark, he is living out something like a picture of the gospel. He is saying to everyone, judgment is coming for everyone except those who are in this boat. Anyone who is not in this ark is going to be doomed, and, and by that he condemned the world. At the same time, the author says that Noah became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. And, and this is just another way of saying what Genesis 15 says about Abram. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Noah was justified by faith, a faith that did what? A faith that obeyed. And here's another instance where we should note that the faith that saves is a faith that trusts God with everything. It, it, it not only trusts God to cover our sins by the shed blood of Jesus, but it trusts God with what we might think of as lesser temporal things. So let's, let's step back and, and kind of retract from the book of Hebrews and be reminded, what's the overall purpose of this letter written to the Hebrews? This letter is intended to call weary, battered Christians to person, persevere in faith through the remainder of this life into the next. Keep trusting Him with things that can't be seen. Keep drawing near to Him. Keep pleasing Him. Keep exhibiting your faith through obedience. Trust Him with everything and so receive your commendation on the last day. Some of us, some of us perhaps, have no trouble trusting the Lord for our salvation. We have, we have no trouble believing that salvation is in Christ alone. Consider again that faith, the kind of faith that's being depicted in this book, is, is holistic in the sense that it pervades every area of life. Now, now none, of us, none of us have perfect faith. None of us trust God perfectly in every situation. And that's why so many of us pray in accordance with, with words that we find in, in Mark chapter 9. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. We, we, we feel the imperfection of our, of our trust. We're, we're all growing in our ability to trust God with all things. That's the key here in, in Hebrews. He, he's encouraging us to continue growing. Trust God in everything. And so ask you as we close here, where is your opportunity right now to grow in faith and therefore grow in obedience? Where, where in your, your life are you struggling to trust God with what can't be seen? And as a result, that unbelief is giving birth to disobedience. Where is that for you? Consider that in this chapter, God has given us pictures to flesh out for us what faithfulness looks like. Will you be like these saints of old and say to the Lord this morning, 
I will trust you and I will walk accordingly. I'm going to pray and after that we're going to have a, a brief moment of reflection and during that time I pray that you would, you would be sensitive to the Spirit. The Spirit would indicate to you exactly where you need to trust the Lord, exactly where you need to obey, need to obey in your journey of perseverance in this life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your teaching this morning in the book of Hebrews and and in particular, this opening of the chapter in uh, chapter 11. We, th- we thank you, Father, that you have recorded for us in the lives of imperfect people, in the lives who did not believe perfectly, you have cataloged for us pictures of faith, what it looks like to trust you and therefore obey you. We thank you for that. And we ask, Lord, that uh, as, as we who have the fullness of the gospel revealed to us, We know that salvation is by faith in Christ alone through His atoning death on the cross and His resurrection unto life. We know that we are saved in that and because we are saved, we are called to trust Him with everything. Trust Him with atoning for our sin. Trust Him with raising us to to newness of life. Trust Him with raising up our bodies on the last day. Trust Him with that and everything in between. We pray, Father, that, that You would grant us to follow in these footsteps of faith, those who have gone before us, and follow in the footsteps of the faith of Christ Himself, that we might traverse this difficult life, that we might please You, Father, and that we might, by faith, enter Your eternal kingdom. We pray for Your help in all of this. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.